Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening to DIY Money. If you haven't already, be sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes so your friends know that they can learn from the show. Also, follow us everywhere on social at DIY Money Podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the video on YouTube. We've got some awesome bonus content there. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of DIY Money. DIY Money. So, Daniel, the housing market seems to be softening a bit in your. Uh, There's some softening in your search. <laughs> There's softening. some softening in your search. How excited uh, I am! Have you? Uh, I mean, what are you seeing? Because you, you know, for listeners out there, you may not remember because it's long, it's been long time years ago since we. we- yeah, Daniel and, Started the process. And, and family continue to rent, uh, waiting patiently for better opportunities. Uh, not just talking about that with people, but we, you know, he's actually doing that. So w- where are you in that process? Give us a check in there. Well, I uh, still get the daily Zillow emails uh, that pop into the email box uh, with new properties coming online. Uh, but what's notable is starting to see properties cut prices, uh, which was non-existent really three to six months ago. Uh, so starting to see, yeah, properties that are priced and then you know come down uh, sometimes one, but actually multiple sometimes uh, price cuts. Actually seeing open houses now again. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, Property that means properties are lasting long enough on the market that they actually can get to an open house uh, in the next week or two, which again wasn't the case three to six months ago. So uh, that feverish sort of excitement for everybody rushing into a house, bidding it up ten, twenty, fifty thousand over asking seems to be slowing. Now that's just conjecture. That's just you know looking at the what's coming into my email box and guessing what's happening because I'm not a realtor, so I don't know how many you know. Uh, bids are are being placed on houses and stuff. But if prices are being lowered and houses are making it to open houses, one would be safe to assume that uh, a house is not a house is not getting listed and then being gone in five days anymore. Uh, and that's what was happening uh, very easily to see three to six months ago. So I saw definitely a, softening. I saw a stat something like in the month of June there were more uh, closing cancellations than like the last 10 years or something like that. That wouldn't be surprising. People are probably getting a little bit more iffy uh, about getting all the way to closing. Um, and then clearly if you have, uh, if you put a deposit on a new house, you know, a newly constructed home, and that's taking, you know, eight to 12 months to build or whatever, and you put down your deposit and interest rates were three-ish percent or oh, something like yeah. that, two and a half, three percent. And now you're coming up to closing and going, holy moly, it's you know five to six percent interest rates, and the economy has dramatically shifted. Uh, obviously, you could see cancellations happening. And likewise, uh, our local builder has more sort of uh, you know quick move in ready homes than they had in the past year. So obviously, some of those are probably people who sort of backed out, uh, who built that home and sort of picked out the the color scheme and all that, and decided to back out. So it's definitely slowing down. And we all knew. I mean, you can't. You can't forever have ten to twenty offers on a home and people bidding over asking price. Forever, you you just pull up a Zillow map. You see a lot more for sale now than you did just months ago, which means homes are are staying on the market longer. And this is, I mean, not to be, you know, hyperbolic, but 
So it's kind of the beginning of sort of a shift in the market. It doesn't mean it has to go dramatically lower. It doesn't mean housing prices have to go down 50% like they did in some places back in uh, 2007 through 2009. But it does mean that the sentiment has dramatically shifted. Uh, and if these interest rates are the new normal, then we have to just, uh, as a economy, sort of adjust to that with housing prices. And what that means, uh, we'll find out, I think, in the coming months to, to year. One of the things I, I think is um, folks will often, you know, if you've been patiently waiting and we see this this price break, um, you, you might go, oh, you know, finally we get a slowdown and a price break and you pounce. You mm-hmm. know, you, you, you take that um, initial action. And, I, you know, just from just from personal experience, and this may not be the case this time, so take it for what it's worth, but... Uh, you know, if you find the dream home and the and the price is right and you factored it in with the new rates or whatever, then, you know, then act accordingly. But uh, if you have been patiently waiting and you, you get a price break and, and you're starting to see that and you're going, oh, this is fantastic. Let's find one right now and close on it. Um, I don't think there's any rush. I think what happens in... Um, the housing market, it, unlike the stock market, which which declines very quickly, you you, you have the liquidity, which is such a, a benefit of stocks. It's also uh, a negative when you have a decline because with a press of a button, you know billions upon billions of dollars can be extracted from the stock market, therefore sending prices lower, and you get quotes immediately. So people have that emotional, uh, you know, tendency to make irrational decisions when they see a quote going down. Unlike real estate, where it sort of takes a little bit longer uh, to play out and often accelerates the longer it goes. And the reason for that, if you, if you think about it, is you, you have this confluence of events that's starting to occur where you know people are listing their homes. Maybe they've been waiting to list. And, and they're starting to think to themselves, okay, you know, I'm now one of a dozen. And, you know, a year ago, I was one of five homes listed in, in our area. Now I'm one of a dozen. So the, the realtor says, well, you got to be a little bit more price conscious. And then it sits on the market a little while. And so then they lower that a little bit. And, it, and it's, and it's kind of like, you know, when you, when you see price deceleration across any, any metric, you know, it tends to pick up speed as it goes lower. In addition, if we have the backdrop, and maybe we won't, we probably will, of a slowing economy and, and you know higher unemployment and some of the challenges we're facing in the economy, then you have people that are struggling to pay their bills. And ultimately, a bank going in and saying, we're going to have to foreclose on this, or we're going to have to take this over. Or, you know, again, the person who put a deposit down is building a dream home and, and now either can't do that and has to back out of that, and a builder doesn't want to sit with that on their books. And so they may uh, cut that considerably. Obviously, they have profit margins, uh, you know, uh, built in, and they might cut down the cost in order. So, so again, there's just no rush. I, I, I just, I think that for those of you out there who've been patient, who've waited, who've taken your time, and now you're starting to see prices come down in certain areas, certain areas you're just not yet, uh, but it should transpire uh, if, if, you know, if history is any um, indication, there's, there's no rush. All right. Wow. Okay. We got to get right back on task here. Ah, what just happened? Don't know the name. We'll call him D because that's uh, sort of indicated in his email. D has a question uh, about relationships and money and marriage. And I, and I love it. Uh, it's been a long time since we've talked about it. So D, what do you got? D-I-Y. 
Hey, DIY Money. I've really been enjoying your show. I just recently got married, which is a, a big financial change. I'd love to hear some wisdom that y'all have on how to manage that. I'd love to run some ideas I had by you and, and have you add on some more. So our vision is to you know, be a union and have a joint household. We're trying to add our two incomes together and make one fire hose that we can use to maximize each other's retirement accounts as best as possible. We have a joint checking and savings. She's an authorized user on, on all the cards. We made each other beneficiaries of retirement accounts, and we've both made sure that we have life insurance policy to cover each other. I wondered what other things you could add for how to adjust finances once you're married and what wisdom you had to share about marriage and finance. Thank you. The dawning of a new day. A marriage is not a timeless agreement. It is one day. And each day, it begins anew. Okay. Uh, first of all, if you haven't yet, once you get your $25 Amazon gift card, I'm going to encourage you to spend, I think it's $5.99. I, I don't know. For the DIY Money book. It's a light read, but... It has an entire chapter dedicated, and, and the chapter's short. Actually, we, oh, no, it's actually, okay, goes a little bit longer. It starts, yeah, chapter 10, Money and Marriage. You're going to read it? No, I'm not, okay. but, I, but I wanted to just be able to cite so it. I am looking book. at the book right yeah. here. Um, and it, it goes into, once it does a brushstroke of how important that is, it goes into subsections such as identifying the family CFO and who then is also the supporting role. I, I have an indication of who that might be based on you sending in the question, but nonetheless, it's important to identify that. It's important to start setting up you know, meetings and, and time periods to have sort of business meetings and articulate you know, what, what's happening and where are you financially and, and then ultimately you know, be setting up the goals and the dreams and, and, and how, to, how to get there. Um, but I would say that when you start talking about relationship and money, it is much more important to nail down the qualitative as opposed to the quantitative. The quantitative will come. The quantitative, you know, is, is X's and O's, is numbers, right? Is we, we bring in this, we spend this, let's prioritize our margin, where should it go, debt reduction, saving, blah, blah, blah. That, that's easy. However... You can't do that unless you have really figured out the relational side of money, the communication side, uh, the teamwork side, the roles and the supporting roles. And that is the area that most people uh, fall apart on. And, and, it, and it won't work. It, it just won't unless you nail that down. Most people do that as you are. Well, most people should do that. Most people don't. Most people should do that prior to them ever being married. So I applaud you for, for bringing this out and communicating about this um, early because if you don't do it early, then you're having to unwind and sort of go back and correct bad habits. And sometimes there's bitterness and frustration and, and so forth. And so um, I would say Again, in addition, I'd love to hear Daniel's thoughts on this. In addition to the things you mentioned, which are primarily quantitative, you know, combining and this, that, and the other um, on the on the accounts and setting up the right, you know, all that stuff's good. But it's more about getting together on a regular basis, identifying the goals, the steps, the actions, and then doing it. 
and then implementing it. And then there's a final piece in that book that talks about rewards. How are you going to reward yourself when you hit various milestones, as you should? So I applaud you for the question. Um, I think, it again, the only thing I can glean or add to this is more on the qualitative, a lot more. Um, and understanding money makeup, how your spouse is, thinks about money and you know the, the historical use of money and family and money, all that stuff we've talked about on other podcasts. But what say you, Daniel? Yeah, I would say that uh, money is the metric that you look at. It's the measuring stick. It's the tool that you're using. And it's more about what you talked about. It's about the goals and the, the expectations. Uh, I would go on to say it's, it's probably conjecture uh but i would i would go on to say that most of the conflict that people associate with money you know like uh i think there's the old adage that like most conflict in marriages surround around money i think it's actually not about the money it's just that's the easy metric to point to it's really about uh goals or expectations that are either uh, assumed or uncommunicated and so money is just the easiest one because you can measure it but uh the conflict about money is really just about you each have different expectations on uh, what you do with money or how you spend money or the goals that you have surrounding money. So one of you might have the expectation that, you know, money is really there uh, to be enjoyed, uh, to, to go out to eat, to do vacations. And the other person in a particular marriage might uh, think that, you know, or have the expectation that money is to be saved and uh, we should be concerned about the future and things like that. It's about meeting halfway in a lot of those things. So the more that you can structure, I think, uh, conversations and dialogues, less about the dollars and cents and, and more about the goals and expectations that you have in life and then how money supports that, how your time supports that, how your values as a family support that, I think the better off that you'll be, uh, you'll figure out then what are the things that you need to do around that. So for instance, uh, for some folks, combining your, your money may not be a important step along the way. Uh, some people keep it separate. Uh, some people, you know, might have a vacation goals and funds and education funds and things like that, that they, that they save up. But all of those are, are sort of secondary to what are the expectations and goals that you two have as a couple in life, and how are you going to use these funds to really uh, achieve those? I uh, The only thing I would add to that is um, when you go through these you know steps and you meet and you articulate these goals and so forth, one of the benefits of that is so that you – establish this teamwork that can be you know called upon during difficult times as well that that's so critical because you know early on you, you get these double income and even though we're you know going through some difficult market times now most younger people okay market's down so what i can buy into my 401k and get better prices as you should and dollar cost average and you know life is good and there's low unemployment I will tell you that there's going to be difficulties, you, you, you know, especially in marriage. You're going to go through difficult times. You know, family member might need money, right? And it's family, and you know, you got to decide. It's it's your spouse or your your side of the family, and your other, you know, your spouse says, "Well, why do we need it? Well, it's my cousin or my brother or whatever." And you know, well, we don't. Do we have the money? Do we not? You know, I mean. Or maybe somebody gets ill, or there's a financial challenge, or you make a mistake. I mean, my goodness, my my wife and I, throughout twenty almost twenty years of marriage now, 
it it ain't always been easy, okay? Especially on the financial side, uh, we've made mistakes along the way, and we've learned from those mistakes. And and one thing that I, I I've seen this a lot with other couples, and I I don't have this at all. I can make a financial mistake. I'm not nervous to go to my wife and go, boy, I screwed that up. All right, I I, I made a mistake. I didn't do this. You know, whatever it might be. Um, I don't feel like she's going to hold something over me. I'm not as good. I, I'll be candid with you. I'm sure if you were to pull my wife, who probably doesn't listen to this, I know doesn't listen to this show, she'll still never hear this. If you were to say, are you nervous about making a financial mistake because Quint might you know, hold it over you, she'd be like, yeah, I am. That's something I personally probably have to work on. I, I know I do. And I, and I don't mean to do that. I just, I'm sure it, is something that kind of comes across. So, uh, but I will tell you that during difficult times, having that teamwork and that ability to come together that you're both going towards a common goal is critical, absolutely critical. So wish you the best of luck, uh, D, and I think you're, uh, you're setting up on the right path. And it's going to be exciting, and you'll hit your goals, and you'll do it together, and you'll build in rewards. But buy yourself the DIY money book because I expand on that a little bit further in that book as well. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. All right. All uh, D did was sent us an audio file via his smartphone, probably. Uh, Sent the clip to podcast at DIYmoney.org. That's podcast at DIYmoney.org. Because we used it on the show, he'll get a $25 Amazon gift card. So uh, remember, friends, secret to wealth is pretty simple. Live on less than you make. Invest the rest. Do so for a very long time. Make it a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. If you want content delivered to you regularly, be sure to follow us on Instagram at DIY.money. And if you want your question aired on the show, be sure to send that to us and you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card. This show is for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not intended as personal financial advice. Before making any financial decision, please do your homework and consult a financial advisor as needed.